Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Loblassingame, and I am your host. We have a bonus episode today. Bonus. Who doesn't love a bonus, right? So a quick episode disclaimer. This episode covers a wide variety of topics related to psychedelic therapy. These topics are controversial and can be difficult or triggering for some people. So please use your best judgment when listening to this episode. We are not psychedelic therapists, I know, disappointing, or psychedelic health professionals. Information shared on this show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please seek professional or specialist advice for guidance on these topics. And, you know, look, so this episode is we I talked to Mike Gavoni, who is has an incredible wealth of knowledge on all things recovery and um, psychedelic therapy. And I talk to him. We have a conversation. I ask him, I play devil's advocate on a couple things. And I talk to him about psychedelic therapy and, you know, what he's seen, what works, what TC not work, uh, how you know, how you don't know, just just a wide range of topics. And it's important to say that this was just a conversation between me and Mike. This was not, this is not professional, this is not professional advice. This is, you know, this is just a, two people having a conversation about this topic who have some knowledge around the topics around recovery, history of recovery, and psychedelic therapy. So I really wanted to get this episode um, to have this bonus because I think it's an important thing to talk about the fact that there are many paths to recovery. And I truly believe and want to put my money where my mouth is that whatever gets you well and happy and healthy and sober, whatever that looks like is good for you. I, I support that. I would say that if you are in early sobriety, that this episode may not be the right thing for you. I think that this is more about over the long term. That's my opinion. There's a lot of information being published, a lot of studies being published on psychedelics, how they can help alcoholism, how they can help depression. And I have just been curious to hear from people who have done that. However, I think that if I had heard about this in early recovery, my <laughs> my inclination may have been to skip all the hard internal work that I have done and try something like this. And I highly suggest that if you are new in recovery to maybe hold off on this episode as it may be, you know, as it may be triggering and this is really this episode was meant to explore something that builds upon foundation that's already there. So if any of that makes sense, hopefully that does make sense. Yeah, I, I just, I love Mike. He told his story on the podcast, which was incredible. And he gives a lot of really great information. And uh, spirituality is a big part of recovery and spirituality can mean a lot of different things. And to me, that was a really scary woo-woo word when I got sober. And now it's it's something I'm fascinated by and, and driven to seek more of. So 
I hope this episode is helpful and interesting for those of you who are interested in the topic and those of you who are not or who believe they may be triggered, please, please, please listen to yourself. Last thing I want to do is cause you any emotional confusion. So without further ado, I give you Mike Gavoni. You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We are a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Mike. Thank you for coming back on for this bonus episode. I'm super excited. We did not get to talk about psychedelics, which have been a major topic out there around how we can possibly treat um, treatment-resistant depression, anxiety, even alcoholism. And you have some stuff to say about this. So I wanted to, I wanted to chat about it. So tell me. Yeah, for sure. In fact, I'm picking up my mother from her um, seventh ketamine infusion in about one hour right after this podcast. So I'm very in the trenches um, when it comes to psychedelics and supporting people in recovery. Um, I don't do that work particularly myself, but um, I'm a big supporter and fan of whatever helps us heal. And just for the record, you know, I don't think psychedelic therapy is for everyone, everyone in general, everyone in recovery. And I think when it's met or done in the right context, um, that's when we begin to see the real transformation. So in the world of psychedelic therapy, you have to meet these certain perimeters, which the MAPS, it's a MAPS protocol. MAPS is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic, I'm missing one word maybe at the end. Um, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Yes. So the MAPS, they, they follow a certain protocol. So for example, the set, so mindset, intention right? The setting environment where you're going to have this journey, the the substance, what you're actually taking, the dose, is the dose correct? Is it supportive for, for, you know, your intention and where you're going? The guide, is there a guide there? Is there a sitter there? So like when you meet these perimeters, it basically, it makes the experience, the experience in a therapeutic context. So many of us who are in recovery have abused psychedelics. And maybe that's not a good avenue for you to take, maybe exploring a different type of psychedelic may be useful. But in general, what I'm getting at is it's not for everyone and you have to do it right in the right context, in the right setting. Let's go through what the, let's just go run through what the the options, like there may be people who are listening to this who didn't know that this was happening, uh, what kind. So, so there's ketamine, ketamine infusion treatments. There's there's psilocybin, ayahuasca, what um, I, iboga, 
What what are the types? What are the types that would fall into the therapeutic category? Well, technically, right now through Maps and Maps is connected, you know, with the FDA to get this FDA approved. It's it's really MDMA at this point that we think that we think is going to be released sooner than later. They're in their they're in the second phase. Only MDMA is what they're working on. Well, they're working on other things, but what's going to move forward first, we think, is MDMA. Then they're studying psilocybin and ayahuasca and other things. But right now, MDMA is kind of um, being pushed through as a breakthrough therapy for treating PTSD. I think the stat shows that 67% of people no longer suffer from PTSD symptoms after their third session of MDMA psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. So does that mean that you go into a session and you sit down, you take MDMA, and then you talk it out? Yeah, but but even before that happens, they're prepping you with at least, you know, three 90-minute sessions of, you know, uncovering what's there, you know, about the medicine, what's going to be explored. Once again, you're, you're setting your intentions. And so it's, there's a preparatory phase as far as um, leading up to the actual medicine journey. Now, I don't speak from a clinician point of view. I just speak from, um, I, I'm a graduate of the Salt City Psychedelic Therapy Program, which supports uh, people who you know want to learn more about psychedelic therapies and so forth. But I'm, I'm not a psychedelic therapist. And you can find most of this information yourself on the MAPS website. And, and obviously, I have some personal experience we can get into. But yes, you really, you know, really leading up to the experience, there's a preparatory phase, then there's the actual experience, and then there's an integration phase as well, which is just important as the journey. Because, you know, like I said, many of us uh, speak for myself, I use psychedelics in a non-therapeutic way when I was a young kid trying to escape my pain not necessarily trying to heal. So when we do these explorations or these journeys, really, you know, reflecting back on what the journey entailed, what we moved through, what came up for us, what, what, what was the teaching? What am I, how am I experiencing life now in this moment? What some differences I'm experiencing maybe in my body or in my relationships, right? These are things that are processed and, and this integration work is done after the fact, so you can actually connect with what transpired, what's what's how this has influenced you in hopefully a positive way. So, couple questions. So, in, and again, I'm we're I'm using you as uh, a uh, you know based on your experience and 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 what's the word exposure to to the topic. I know you're not a clinician. Does the therapy always involve? sitting in a room with a therapist or are there, you know, would, would an ayahuasca ceremony be considered therapeutic? I'm not talking about for some people, of course, anything can be therapeutic for, depending on the person, right? Or not therapeutic. There's always dosage questions and stuff like that. But how, you know, if I'm coming from the, you know, the the world not knowing anything, right? Let's just, I'm, I don't know anything about psychedelic therapeutics. And maybe I'm even coming with judgment about all of that, right? Like I put it off in a category of like using. Yes, mindset. Yes, criteria. How else is it differentiated 
from using and what is the process? Like, you, like for example, with your mother, the ketamine infusions, how does that work? Like she walks into a clinic, they give her ketamine, what happens? Or like, can you tell me a bit about like, what is the process? Yeah. So there's a couple questions within that question, I think. And going back to the first one in regards to, is it always done with a therapist or in that therapeutic setting? In a way, it just may look like being in the jungle, yeah, in a, in a sacred circle with a shaman and you're, you're preparing, you know, the day of and leading into the ceremony and setting the intentions with the shaman in the medicine circle and then drinking the cup and then going back to, you know, your bed, you know, with everyone there and, and you guys all having this experience together. And then, you know, there are sitters and guides helping everyone process and move through what comes up in the journey. That's a, that's another, you know, experience you may have that's not in a, let's say maybe a therapeutic setting like the one we mentioned earlier with two guides or, or, or clinicians there, a man and a woman guiding you. It may look like being in the Amazon with a shaman in a group. It may look like being with one person, you know, as far as, um, for example, there's, there's, there's many different psychedelics. First off, there's so many, there's so, there's so many that it's just mind boggling, but it's all done in a different, you know, context, depending upon the, the, how the medicine originated. For example, the Shipibos in the jungles of Peru, like they use their medicine in a certain context, right? They, they have specific rituals of, of how to prepare the medicine and use the medicine. So you might, you know, depending upon which lineage and which medicine you're using, the, the, the setting may be different. Then the second part of your question, you know, I think it's, I think a lot of people in the recovery community are, could be apprehensive because substances ruined our lives. And now we're saying, oh, they're going to heal you. So if you're listening today and that's you, that's okay. Like, I respect that. And we've been healing with plants since the beginning of time. In fact, we might even see the Eucharist be a psychedelic in our lifetime. If you look at the immortality key, I believe the book is, and those researchers that are doing that research, it's amazing. I mean, the, the Greeks, the Greeks and you know, the Greeks in general, they were drinking that kikos, that, that um, ergot that was fermented off of wheat and having these transformational experiences thousands of years ago using psychedelics. So these, these aren't, this isn't new. We've just, many of us who are alive right now have been whitewashed with a lot of propaganda in relationship to psychedelics because of the Timothy Leary era and how psychedelics were misused. So kind of leading back to this, where we are is um, you asked me, how does it look like with my mom? Well, my mom is in the care of a medical doctor who is, who is administering this ketamine infusion. And um, so she's in a clinic. And the doctor is, is well-trained in this therapy. And I can't speak um, in depth like she can about it because I'm not an MD, but I can tell you what I've witnessed, or I can tell you maybe a little bit what that looks like is mom goes into a clinic. She, she gets settled in. She talks with the doc. How you doing? Check in, that sort of stuff. And then, you know, they lead into prepping the IV and listening to some soft music. And mom has kind of her experience. Now, ketamine can be dosed 
for all different reasons. Like the doc, for example, told, told me she could cut your limbs off by giving you enough ketamine and you wouldn't be awake to feel it. Or she could give you a dose to pretty much immediately take away suicidal ideation. Or she could give you a dose specifically to address depression and PTSD symptoms. So it can all be dosed in a, in a certain way. But once again, there are people that abuse ketamine and go to raves and go in K-holes and just, you know, I, I've seen it myself. They're using it in a different context for a different reason. Yeah. So I think it always comes back to intention. Why are we doing it? How? So like you said, it can take like, I just want to stop on like, it can take away suicidal ideation, right? Let's just say that. So if I take, if I'm having a panic attack and I take a Xanax, right, that'll take away my panic attack as well. But it, two things happen. One is, well, for me, that's just a, a no-no, but like, you know, I, I suppose there are circumstances under medical care where that would be fine, but it is temporary. It's, ta- it's, isn't sol- it's not solving a long-term problem for me. How does ketamine solve long-term, what is it doing, do you know, or what's your experience or what have you seen in terms of long-term outcomes? Because all of that stuff, I can totally see how it would work momentarily. Yeah. So so the I believe the ketamine, once again, not speaking from an expert, uh, works by supporting neurogenesis, neuroplasticity, creating new neural networks in the brain, for sure, which which can be lasting if you... For example, if you do other practices and work and do deeper work in conjunction with that therapy. Interesting. Okay. So, for example, that may look like even simple as meditation practice, you know, after ketamine or therapy after ketamine. So because what happens is these psychedelics allow us to see with new eyes. So. Many of them, yes, I think can assist with giving us a profound healing physically sometimes. If you look at my episode with Rhonda Nelson, she's a trauma therapist for Gabo Mate's team. She had a healing with her muscular issue from ayahuasca journey. Not completely gone forever, but her symptoms were much less. But really what happens and what happened for her specifically too is, is it, allows us to have a shift in perspective, allows us to shift our consciousness. And at the end of the day, shifting our consciousness is really the big change. It's really what's needed for us to see our experience, particularly our wounds and what happened to us in a different light, which is ultimately the root of why we're using substances in the first place, not because something's wrong with us, or we're selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and afraid, but we're neglected. We've been abused, abandoned, and betrayed, and many of us from our caregivers. So these psychedelics can be extremely powerful in unlocking what's in the the subconscious, because as we know, the subconscious is driving most of this this reality, right? right. and the emotions that are connected to them too. So... My experience with my compulsivity as it relates to substances and as it relates to things that make me feel different from the neck up, I'll just put, you know, whatever that is, is that when I do have a true compulsion, let's say, let's use sugar, for example, which has been a real true compulsion for me where 
one is too many, a thousand is never enough, all the things, right? And so you can't have a cookie or a brownie? Not with white sugar in it, no. Okay. Seriously. It's that it's that destructive for me. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to me. Uh I like I went to treatment for it. It it you know, it's it's <laughs> is that bad? Like is that it's that because the way that I think about it, that compulsive you know, I'm sober 15 years. And when I had alcohol, the way if there was alcohol in a room in a house, and I walked into that house, I could not have been thinking about alcohol. But the moment I walk into that house, if I know there's alcohol or drugs in the house, that's all I'm thinking about. And I'm thinking about them the whole time, no matter what I'm doing. It's constant on my mind, just over and over and over and over and over again until I get to it. And that could be five hours. It could be 10 minutes. It doesn't matter, but it's always that way. I hide it. I do, you know, I do very weird compulsive things with it. And sugar triggered that same thing for me. And so I wonder, you know, there's the part where I'm like selfish, self-seeking, right? Talking about kind of more AA lingo, 12-step lingo. And then there's the part that feels very chemical for me, which is, even when I've done deep work, I've had a change of perspective, there's certain chemicals that I put into my body that for me, for Ashley, I put those into my body and I don't know what happens. Like it's not, I become selfish and self-seeking because I'm, that's because I'm stuck on that channel, right? I become that. Yeah. But I, I feel like there is a physical component in my experience to what I have and I'm wondering, you know, my fear around it or my curiosity around it is like, okay, yes, I'm curious. Of course, anything. I take medication for depression and anxiety. I have my whole life. I have severe clinical depression. I've tried to come up, you know, whatever. And how could this thing help? And then my question, my thought process around it is, how do I know the difference? How do I know what's going to affect, like when I have that because it's not tied to my personality per se. I think it's tied to my wiring. Certain chemicals in my brain just click something on in me. How do you, have you seen people where they tried this and it wasn't a good fit for them? It wasn't, you know, they, you know, it turns out that this is more using to them than, than maybe it is for you or for other people that you've seen it go well for. So the answer is uh, yes. And I think you're going to find that in general, because when we're always exploring with something like psychedelics, I mean, there's, there's, let's just say everyone's not going to take to it in a positive way. Everyone doesn't take to pharmaceuticals in a positive, positive way either. So yes, I, I have seen this. I've seen people, I don't know what to call them. I call them, you know, ceremony chasers where they chase ceremonies could be ayahuasca or whatever the case may be. And when I see that type of behavior, it what it reveals to me is that there there's a lack of integration. There's a lack of really deep purpose in integrating their experiences. So yes, I have seen that. And in the case of sugar with you, I, I don't have a personal experience with using psychedelics to treat that. I do have... Um, that craving for sugar myself that I've been able to curb amazingly by healing my mitochondria. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a whole other topic. And I think that alcoholics um, have the inability to process sugar for some reason, because alcohol is sugar. This is just my hypothesis. And when I began to heal my mitochondria 
in what's called I be, I'm fat adaptive, which means I can use fat for fuel or glucose for fuel pretty quickly. That has helped with sugar cravings, you know, hormonal releases such as ghrelin, leptin, these hormones that are, are you know signaling hunger signals and that's that, that that sort of thing. I, I've had huge takeaways there, but um, with psychedelics, I don't know. Maybe if I was to say to you. Maybe there's something deeper under there that they could reveal to you. I don't know. And once again, this is the this is the exploration that we all take. Sometimes, often thinking we need this, and then they, which meaning the psychedelics, give us that. Right. Right. So yeah. So it's it's interesting. How do you speak to? Um, so I'm assuming that you've seen people treat, use psychedelics to treat, treat other, you know, mainstream treatment resistant conditions. Is that right? Sure. And when you see people treat, let's say depression, if you've seen that, is it, a, is it an ongoing thing that they have to do? Do you suddenly does, does their treat, does, is it progressive? What are, what does that look like when you see people using psychedelics to treat depression? Yeah. So ex- once again, it's not one size fits all. Like, for example, my mother did six treatments of ketamine, which is basically the protocol. And then the doc says, if you start to see uh, your symptoms of PTSD coming back or these patterns reimmersing, then let me know and we can come back for another infusion, which is she's doing today. So once again, there's no one size fits all. It's really catering a protocol per the patient's or client's individual needs as things show up along their process. But one thing I will say is, you know, MAPS and the correct way is really doing it with with support, is really, you know, getting that support, not doing these journeys by ourselves per se, but really having this team to support us and navigate what, what's, what's come up. What's your experience with it? Like, what was your experience like or has has been? Which experience? Which medicine? I mean, what all of them. What is, you know, what is, what have you done and what have you, what have the outcomes been kind of deal? Yeah. So I think it's helpful to go back to my first journey with psychedelics in sobriety or in recovery using ayahuasca. And it, once again, sometimes or often these medicines will call you you'll continue to hear about it. The word will keep showing up in your life. Some, the topic will, be, will keep a, a, a arising, right? Once you start to get curious and often it shows up over and over again. And that's what happened with me. And I was in Costa Rica at the time. And at this time I was in a relationship or I'm still in a relationship with, with my fiance now, but I, we were a boyfriend and girlfriend and I, I had the engagement ring with me in Costa Rica to propose. And I had been working through some relationship issues and part of my relationship trauma is from the lack of connection bonding with my mom. And I was taken away from mom at three years old and I was now committing to a woman which was causing all sorts of insecurities. 
So I went to Costa Rica. I was going to a festival out there and I came across this shaman who I met a couple of years ago. Actually, um, this bracelet, his, his, um, him and his family uh, make these beautiful artist pieces. But I, I bought this bracelet and I never, and I, it was the sign of wisdom from, from the ayahuasca tradition. And I never done ayahuasca. I loved the bracelet. I was interested. In, I, I just was interested in him for some reason. Two years later, I go back and boom, I find I find his associate who is working the stand which sells all his beautiful goods. And this kid had this look in his eye that was so pure, that was so genuine, that was so beautiful. It was like I was I was I was like I was I was like drawn into him. And I was asking, "Are, are you guys doing ceremony here?" He's like. He's like, yes, brother, we are, you know, we'd love to have you join. And, and anyways, I, I just knew it. I knew I was going to do this. So I told my fans, listen, I'm going up to the jungles after this, the highlands to do this medicine. If you want to meet me, come on. If not, I'll meet you back at the place in a couple of days. And uh, so anyways, I drank the ayahuasca. And for me, my intentions were to heal my heart. I had this huge wound of, 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 of commitment. And here I was committing to my fiance. So my journey was very beautiful. Ayahuasca was very gentle with me. Now my fiance got put through the ringer because she was holding on to things from her life. Her childhood came up, things in her body. The, the, the shaman knew exactly, he knew exactly what was, was happening to her just by the physiological symptoms in her body on the medicine. She couldn't, she was stuck in a one position for eight hours straight. She couldn't move. She was frozen. You know, he said, tell me where you have issues taking steps to follow your heart, your dream everywhere. She was crying, crying, crying. Her hands were locked up. He said in Spanish, and I can understand Spanish. I can't speak that well. He's like, tell me who you have communication problems with. And, and it was her mom at the time. We were healing these deep wounds with her mother and she cannot, could not communicate with her mom. So her, the shaman says you need to start communicating from mujera to mujera, woman to woman, no longer mujera to hija, from child to mother, now woman to woman. And I was like floored because like this guy didn't know the story. She just drank this cup of stuff. So anyway, she got put to the ringer. My experience was beautiful. When I say beautiful, it was challenging. You know, I was I was going in deep internal internally and within myself, I was like going through these different layers. The best thing I can say is I was defragging my hard drive. So it was like, it was like taking me through all these different levels. No, you don't need this. You need this. Don't 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 need this. And I just began to let go of all this stuff that's deep in the subconscious. So anyways, we both had two different experiences. Mine was beautiful. And that was my first journey in recovery. Now, leading up to that journey, I had apprehension. There was a part of me that says, oh, Michael, are you relapsing right now? Are you relapsing? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. So what I want to say to that is. Yeah. Like what, how do you, how do you get right with that? Yeah. If that's how you're looking at it, it, what I want to say is, is your consciousness isn't quite ready to hold the magnitude and capability and possibility of this being a medicine that can help heal you. But you were ready and you had that thought, right? I was ready. Well, when I say on your first journey, I mean, are you ever really ready? Um, there's no always idea. apprehension. But Yet, you did what, have the thought, am I relapsing? Uh, of course I did. Right. Is this, what, what am I doing right now? Is this right. an S? And, and that is coming from that place is there's a, there's a, a tinge of fear, which is good. You want that. It allows you to actually discern and take a look at it and, and, and see what you need to do. 
And for me, I knew I was taking the step forward. Now, after the fact, when I hear the word plant medicine, medicine at the deepest meaning, not like, oh, you hear plant medicine all the time, plant medicine, because that gets thrown around like any word. But when you have the experience in the right context, with the right intention, with, in this case, it was a fourth generation shaman, it was medicine of the highest standard. It was completely remarkable, honestly. And that was my first journey with psychedelics in recovery. Now, since then, I have explored with psilocybin and I've explored with MDMA and one, uh, two incidences, psilocybin with San Pedro cactus, which is a heart opener. And so each of these medicines brought a different experience. Now, I have used these without a guide in the context, for example, with me and my fiance with intention, like in Costa Rica on a different, totally different trip a couple of years later in the Osa Peninsula in a cabin to bond and connect with this beautiful San Pedro, which is, like I said, it's a heart opener. It's a bonder. And what I mean by that, not as like you want to connect and have sex, it's a, it's it's getting intimate and vulnerable. It's, it's opening the doors for communication and presence like I wouldn't be able to do maybe without the medicine. Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. I want to interrupt this episode to have a short little discussion about support groups and There is no better person to talk to about this than my production coordinator, Ashley Joe Brewer, AJB, if you will. AJB, hi. Hi. Okay, you're a big fan of community. You attend community support group meetings. Give why? Why why should people care? I absolutely love community because it creates a community. And I know that sounds funny, but It truly provides a space for anyone and everyone, no matter what they are going through. Just to give you an example, I invited or told a friend about community because she was really struggling with binge eating disorder and had gone to many different groups and felt shunned or not accepted or like it wasn't a place for her. And at community, she found a place because in community meetings, it's we don't care what the substance is or what the struggle is. Everyone is accepted no matter where they are in life, no matter what they are recovering from. And I think that's what's beautiful about community. Oh, I love it. And I, I yes, I 100% agree with you that the value is that you don't have to know what your problem is, what your struggle is, what you want to give up or not give up, or whether you're abstinent or whether you're stopping, whatever, whatever it is, you are welcome and you are welcome in this place. And it's a great place to discover the answers to all the questions that you're looking for in a community and have that support. And it's free to anyone. You go to lionrock.life. And there is a tab with community meetings. There are different days, different times, different subjects. There's even a cooking group called Community Table. There are so many different options, something out there for everyone. So I highly recommend, maybe after you listen to this, if you are looking for more community in your life, 
more friends, more support. Please, please go check out community, lionrock.life. Click that community tab. Let me ask, I just uh, drop a quick devil's advocate here. If my husband and I went to a cabin in Costa Rica and we both did some real good Colombian cocaine, right? We just both did a big line. We would, you know, talk at a deep level. We would talk for hours and talk at a deep level and get, you know, the way that you do when you, when you do how, as, as just as devil's advocate, how do you differentiate what I'm saying, which would be using in this context for us and what you're talking about? Well, just for example, the substances we're using are two different substances. If you're prone to addiction and you have uh, an addictive um, system, then cocaine is going to cause you to crave more cocaine. Correct. Psychedelics are the complete opposite in relation. If you try to abuse psychedelics, they won't work. So you can't take mushrooms four times a week. They won't work. Yes. And there are people who are sober and in treatment from, I mean, I've seen them. They're not, they're never quite right in the head, but I have, I mean, I have seen them. Once again, from which place are you using the substance? Are you using it in the throes of, of uh, uh, your addiction and using it to escape yourself and taking yes, acid and losing it? Yeah, of course. So you get a different outcome. Um, very, very much so. Uh, if you look at there's some there's some beautiful research done. I can share it with you after. Uh, I think it was a research from uh, London in regards to all the different substances. There's like 50 of them, and the um, hospitalizations or um, overdoses and 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 things that have occurred from each substance. That basically it's a scale of which substances are the most harmful. All the way at the very end of psychedelic mushrooms, like this, like a little, little beep. Yeah. So, of course, you'll get that once again, but it's not even close to, uh, let's just say, exploring with cocaine or heroin. <laughs> I was just, I'm just throwing out a, you know. A, for, for sure. A, you know. And it's big... important because people are asking these questions. Yeah. And you have to be ready with these. This, this isn't like, let's just go do this because it's something to do. It's like I'm suffering or I'm coming up against this deep block or pattern. I've been in psychotherapy for years, talk therapy. I've done this. I'm sober 10 years and, and I know there's something else. I know there's more to explore and, and I, I just can't get to it. And I want to heal. I want to go deeper. In that context, it may be the place to start looking at these substances, at these medicines. And I, I share with you the set and setting and all that. And yet I'm sharing with you, I've had an experience without a guide. Right, now right. That, that gets back to dose. Right. So for example, with psilocybin, you have a micro dose, which is a sub perceptual dose, a dose you take that's so small that you're not feeling anything, but yet it's still happening. That's a Thing we can discuss in a bit if you want to. You have an exploratory dose, which is kind of like opening the doors, shifting perception. You have a therapeutic dose. And once you start getting into this territory, therapeutic dose, you really want someone there to support you that's not on a substance, that can hold space, that knows what they're doing in that, that sort of context. 
heroic dose for sure, because you might not exist during that experience. You might transcend this ego, this person, which is an experience people have on psychedelics as well. So once again, there's the, there's the dose aspect and make sure that, you know, when, when I explored with my fiance and as of recently, and I just want to say for the record too, like I explore with these maybe twice a year. So it's not something I do frequently. I don't chase ceremonies. And in fact, uh, it's very sacred when, 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 when using these. And once again, I'm in my 16th year of recovery in a, in a different place where honestly, I don't uh, have the urge to get outside of myself. Rather, when I do these and when we do these, this is an intention to go inside ourselves. In fact, these medicines will pull you so deep inside yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's what I understand. Yeah. That you will, for example, the last journey I did with my fiance, uh, our child showed up. We don't have a child, but our child spirit showed up and our ancestors showed up. The, my, my fiance is Peruvian. So the abuelas and the abuelos, the grandparents, the, the, the male lineage showed up, her grandfather's. Like, like a whole, well, hol- like no. a, like a sensing. Okay. Like they're here. They're, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, and once again, it's when you try to think of it in this right, framework. It doesn't make. No, cause you're, cause the consciousness in this realm right. is like, is like a, like Aldous Huxley, I believe he says, uh, when you take psychedelics, it's like opening the release valve of consciousness to flow. And when I was on this journey with her, her abuelas, her grandmas were preparing her body, her uterus, her vagina, all this for this entry of this soul, which was our kid. Now, me and her were having these experiences simultaneously and communicating without even talking. So we were communicating and connecting on this deep level. In fact, it was revealed to me that, you know, Evie, my fiance is here and I'm here. We're here to heal each other in this lifetime. And that's been the case so far, but it, 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 it showed it in different ways in a different realm of consciousness. And this was with which substance? This is with psilocybin. Okay. Not the San Pedro. No. Before the San Pedro was more of this very much intimacy. Right. Like, right, right, for right, example, right. yeah, in that journey, for example, I'll just share with you. And you might say, well, great. Why do you want to know about your kids? And da, da, da. Well, going back to that journey that we had recently, it also showed me when I was struggling in, in the journey, the message from the mushroom was, Michael, allow yourself to be held. Allow her to hold you. Allow her, allow you to put down the mask that you have to be this, this guy who has his shit together all the time. Put down this, this, this sword, the shield. And, and when I did, when I laid down next to her and I stopped, you know, going back and forth in, in the room, which was, which was, I was struggling. I laid down and then that broke, broke through and the message was there. Okay. Let, let someone see you. Once again, this deep wounding of we often suffer from, which a lot of us do in recovery of the inability to connect comes from early childhood stuff, comes from us, you know, pulling away from the uh, people that were supposed to take care of us the most and developing these self-protective mechanisms. But a lot of this is unconscious and the mushroom was showing me that today it's safe to be held. And in the same contrary, she was asking for, permission to have her own experience in the journey at one point she pops up and says like she was worried about me 
because I was, I, she saw I was struggling and she says, do you, do you know, do you mind if I have my own experience? I have to go deep. Like I have to go in. And after the, after the fact, when we integrated our experience together, um, the message for her at that moment was, I have to stop worrying about what everyone else needs to do. She took care of her grandma and mother in a codependent nature for years. And here she is needing to have her own experience. But once again, she's worried about me. So, of course, I say, of course, this is only your own experience. Please do what you need. And I had to work out my stuff. She had to work out hers. The, the San Pedro was all about that connection, as I said. For example, at one point, we we were naked and not like naked in a very sacred way. And we stood up and we said, do you want to like explore each other's bodies by just looking, just seeing me in my full vulnerability in this nakedness. And we, we had the experience of like holding space for each other. Right. That sounds very uncomfortable for me. Yes. And it is for many of us to be seen in the rawness of who we are which has its own has its own troubles in if we may say yeah that come with that and believe me this is once again you have to be ready for this i would be ready for this in my fifth year in sobriety sixth year it took me my ninth year in recovery to pull my head out of my butt and finally come home to my body and here i am in my 16th year 15th year journeying with these medicines some people go right into them and are strand are are on dope and have to do any boga to get off of the heroin. And then they might do ayahuasca. So it's, everyone's different, but this is, this is a journey for me. That's, that's taken a while to unfold. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds, you know, I really, I, I always talk about how, like, I truly believe like whatever works for you should work for you. And I will say in all honesty, that having been raised in 12 step, which I have been, you know, since I was 15 and being sober, you know, in 12 step, it is very hard. I have, I have been very conditioned about what is relapse and what isn't, which has been fantastic for me. I know that that's not the case for a lot of people, but the thing that, that 12 step did for me was it made it really clear what I was and was not allowed to do. And when I get into the gray, I love to come up with the most creative ways where I can effectively do what I want. And it just didn't for so long that got me in trouble. And having it be like, this is this and this is, you know, black and white made it really, it, it gave me space to be successful because I could just, I didn't have to think. And thinking is where I, I get in trouble. And, and I, I mean, I still to this day, you know, have creative ways that, you know, I, I, I called, uh, I called a friend of mine and said, Hey, is this cheating is, you know, is this for school? Is this cheating? You know, and I had this whole idea of like why something wasn't cheating or plagiarism or whatever. And it was a very complex explanation. And he's like, would you get in trouble if you, you know, like I have to go back to very basic things. Yes, no. And I have to often unravel the stories that I'm told. And so this strictness of 12 steps or the, or the, you know, I mean, they call it suggestions, right. And call it what you will has helped me. And yet, so I, I have to suppress the judgment of all these different ways of doing it because my automatic message is then you're not sober, then you're not sober, then, you know, like that's what comes up. And I wonder, you know, I think that when you 
have that and you've been sober a long time, that may also prevent you from trying new things and to, and from exploring more and truly being honest in your belief. Like my belief is I do believe whatever works for you. And I have to confront that when there are things that work for people that make me uncomfortable. Right. So people taking psychedelics makes me, even though I'm curious about it, I believe all these things. There's something about it that makes me uncomfortable because it goes against what I was taught is sober. Yeah. It's like being in, in a religion and saying, don't have sex until you're married. Don't have sex until you're married. Say you're a young kid and you've been programmed with that tape the whole time. So AA and the culture of AA are actually two different things. So Bill Wilson himself had psychedelic experiences on a substance called belladonna. Bill Wilson wanted to include acid in, 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 uh, in, in the AA program. So once again, this is very much part of 12-step. It's just been swept under to the point where it's no longer referenced, talked about, discussed. And then it's kind of like, it's kind of like who's behind the government. That's a whole. So there's 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 a whole, <laughs> That's a whole there's, other can of worms. Yeah, there's a all right. Yeah, the Bilderbergs and all that. It's yeah. like there's a whole other thing going on there yeah. that we don't know. Yeah. So there's a whole other thing going on here, even in twelve step. So this comes back to consciousness. Now the sneaky little mind of yours is still got a hold on you. Yeah. With awakening, that sneakiness becomes revealed. And it no longer becomes the driving force, but you get to witness that sneakiness within your own operation system to where the truth gets revealed to you and consciousness now steps in and opens up to choice, freedom. That's why when you hear Gabor Mate says the cure to addiction is consciousness, consciousness is freedom. Well, consciousness becomes the gatekeeper of your sense doors, including thought thinking. But the thinking isn't who we are. But many of us in recovery are still identified with the stinking thinking. This is the this is the work of ascension, of becoming awake to no longer being at the level of that. As Einstein says, you can't solve a problem at the level of consciousness that created it. We have to rise above that thinking. Psychedelics bypass the default mode network which allows you to see that operation as it is without becoming entangled in it. And in the process of not identifying with it, because the default mode network is a part of the brain that creates the sense of self, there's less self in more observation, more awareness, more consciousness. Now, in seeing things with new eyes, there's new interpretations in understanding of what's going on in Ashley's mind, what's going on in Mike's mind. You used an interesting word. You said bypass. So my question would be, if if the the psychedelics bypass, does that mean that there's a, a path without psychedelics that gets you to the same place? Or do you think that, I, I'm thinking of like Buddhist Beautiful monks. question. In fact, this is where, this is this is the place I speak from. Throw all psychedelics on the side for this guy. No, I, I shared my first experience with you. The experience of awakening through suffering for me through the practice of Buddhist meditation made all my psychedelic journeys look like a skip in a tulip park. Okay. Okay. Tell me. Okay. I, that's 
that's so 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 yes because you had to not bypass right is that I had to exactly I could not run from myself anymore and the beauty of that is I got enough suffering as a great Tibetan prayer would say may you experience enough suffering to awaken your deepest wisdom and compassion that's what happened to me through the sacred illness so you might say oh well why are you even using psychedelics well I like to explore I want to go deeper I want to see what's going what else is going on and that experience of awakening, for example, for me, this isn't everyone else. I never stepped foot in Alcoholics Anonymous again. Seven years to this day, never been in there. I never, ever said the words, I'm an alcoholic or addict again, because I, the, the truth of who I was or am was shown that I'm not this body. I'm not this mind. I am pure loving consciousness. The eternal, the great sages and masters said, be still and know that I am God, right? We have to begin to raise our consciousness to understand that God is within. So I respect 12-step and respect that model, but yet it limits us. It limits you because you're still searching outside for something, for for security or to keep you sober when, when you awaken this consciousness within this consciousness or the true I am becomes, like I say, the big brother or big sister that begins to stand at the threshold of and discern of what's useful and not useful for you at a very deep level. So, and in fact, it's the best relapse prevention too, is your own consciousness. But the challenge is waking up. So if you're in recovery, we all have had enough suffering to bloom our lotuses. If you're in recovery now and you're still suffering, love it. What aren't you leaning into? Can you be still and quiet? Can you put down your cell phone and get out in nature and actually go within to ask these questions? Who am I? What's going on in here? What needs to be tended to? Maybe you do a medicine journey. So whatever doorway or path you take to wake up, I support that, including psychedelics in recovery. Have you had people rail against you on this? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I don't, they haven't said, Mike, you're full of shit. You know, what are you doing? <laughs> it, it, you just wait till two years from now. You're yeah. going to see clinics opening up. For where, sure. And here's the thing. Just like in religion, belief isn't enough. You have to have a direct realization that's why, like my father and even a lot of my family members still cast judgment on not, not being a Christian. They're all passed to the truth. <laughs> Your dad passes judgment on people not being a Christian today? Well, my father's uh, deceased, but back in the day in his dogmatic fundamentalist Christianity, of course, if you didn't believe in, in that, you, you, weren't, you weren't going to heaven. Right, right, right. So, then he went born again, right? Then he went born again. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking when you were speaking, I was thinking that your, that despite the, the path that your dad as a priest took, the quality that you share with him in a positive way is this desire to teach in a, teach about the religion of the heart. Like you, you took, you have the same inclination, but in a, positive, different way. I don't know if that makes sense. Like I, I see the desire to be a, a 
a teacher of God, but for you in a whole other, and I see that how that, you know, he may have had something there that was very different and twisted and, and, and has its own things, but yours is there's, there's a common thread there of, of a passion and a talent for being a teacher of this idea of God. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, and yes, it's very true. And in fact, that's why, you know, that's why I'm, I'm working with people in recovery because there it's, there's such a need to experience the healing beyond just the abstinence and in fact, awakening to the power greater than yourself. And this isn't some concept I have guys that I've been working with for periods of time who have done their own journeys, both psychedelic or just, just personal development in our work together that are, are awakening to, let's just say, an internal family systems model, the self, self energy, not the, not the critic or the manager or, or the exile, but, but waking up to their own Buddha nature, their own Christ conscious. And that's what all that's what all the great teachers and great spiritual teachers, they always direct you back to yourself. And in, in fact, I'll say something that's very kind of when I think about it, I almost go, ooh, because it's very single focused. And it's by Trumpa Rumpage in the back of his meditation book. He says meditation is the only way. Now, all these different spiritual traditions have a form of meditation. So for me, I got called back home through the suffering and the practice of meditation. And that's the, I think that's really where we need to go with helping people with addiction is yes, discharging the trauma from their body and allowing them to have access to the higher regions of consciousness in their brain and nervous system so that they're not being chased by the tigers and lions of the past but they're able to be free and walk on this green earth in the present moment. I love it. And I think um, there's a lot to, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of science that backs up what you're saying. It's not just, not just opinion, but there are a lot of people really, you know, there, there are a lot of scientists out there that are saying that these things are possible, that they're helping people. And there's, there's the data to back up what you're saying. So I, I mean, I've definitely, curious and interested. And, you know, I think, I think that if you stay sober a long time, that there's always a piece of you that, you know, if you stay, if you make it, you know, almost 20 years sober and you care about constantly evolving, sometimes in my experience, you know, you want new things to open, you've, you've maxed out on all the things that you've been doing and that your recovery at 15, 16, 17 years, isn't going to look the same as it looks at, at year one. Right. And my, I, one of my mentors always said, Ashley, you have to update your recovery. Your recovery at year one is not going to look the same at your recovery at year 10, right? You have to, you've updated, you've changed. So you need to update your recovery. And, uh, Love it. Love and that. yeah. And I just really want to put my, my money where my mouth is and say, when I say that I'm open to all types of you know, whatever works for people that I represent that by having conversations that even though I'm, I feel comfortable with them, that, that cultural grooming 
still talks to me. And so I want to, I want to overcome that by saying, I'm going to have these conversations and I'm going to not worry about it. And I'm going to be okay to be curious and not make judgment and have people on that, where we talk about all different types of recovery, because there's still a piece of me where it makes me uncomfortable. And I want to, I want to confront that personally and for, you know, for other people. Beautiful. And thank you for that vulnerable transparency of, of where you are. And I've been there too. And it's important because it's important to keep investigating that and staying really curious about those parts of, of, of ourselves, parts of you that are really, you know, open to discussion. And yet there's some apprehension for you personally to actually cross one foot over in over the line into the new world. And in fact, don't worry about it. That will happen on its own accord, like not necessarily doing a medicine journey, but opening your consciousness up. And this is what's happening right now that I'm seeing from the recovery community. I think this is one of my pieces of work is to help expand the consciousness of the people in the recovery community. And over time, just for yourself, honoring and trusting that process of updating your recovery. And it will come in all sorts of shapes and forms. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, where can people go to get a hold of you and to get more information about this? We'll put it in the show notes and put, and you know, I'll put different research up there, et cetera. Yeah. So I've had a couple podcast episodes, uh, specifically one with Carlos Tanner, who's the founder of the Ayahuasca Foundation out in Iquitos, Peru. He actually shares his journey. He was a heroin addict. And in, in the clip I share on social media with him is, you know, after his first session, after his first ceremony, he says he knew he would never do heroin again. And so he's the founder of the Ayahuasca Foundation. So you can check out my podcast. It's called the Healing Beyond Recovery Podcast. Um, you can find me at Mike Gavoni, uh, M-I-K-E-G-O-V as in Victor, O and as in Nancy, I, MikeGavoni.com. Uh, or you can look me up on Instagram or Facebook at Mike Gavoni. So these podcasts are your podcasts where other people were guests, right? Where they can find... Yeah, so Rhonda Nelson is a one a guest I mentioned earlier. She's a trauma therapist, therapist part of Gabo Mate's uh, team of teaching compassionate inquiry. She's on there, and uh, Carlos is on there, and I think Doctor Mike, Doctor Mike, I'm losing his last name right now. He's on there as well. He's a graduate of uh, the Noetic Institute, Noetic Science Institute. Um, he's a he's a doctor, PhD, I think, and. Um, shares a lot about his journey with psychedelics too. So this, this is a very hot topic um, and you can, you can find it in a lot of different places. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me about this. I really appreciate you and I appreciate your time. And um, I hope that this uh, episode brings more inquiries. Beautiful. Ashley, thank you for the work you're doing. Thanks for having me. Thanks. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meeting's schedule and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.